Good morning. Whether you've been here uh, for all four of these Advent Sundays, or if this is the first time that um, you're, you're joining us on a Sunday morning here at Mosaic, um, silence can be either uh, something you really, really look forward to, uh, or, uh, or something that just brings a ton of annoyance and agitation, and you can't wait till it's done, and the next thing starts happening, and um, it's really one of those things that, that we're, we're designed for and we're intended to experience, and it's, it's very rare that we actually do, and uh, uh, what we've wanted to do in these, in these weeks leading up to, to Christmas uh, is, to, is to create a little bit of a pause in our, our gatherings and, and therefore in, in our weeks that we would actually come through these, these days and weeks that are so busy and hectic during the holiday season, during Christmas time, what we call Advent, um, that this would actually be a little pause where you could actually just stop and, and be. And so whether it's really, really uncomfortable or whether it's really welcomed, um, we think it's valuable and, and, and hope that you can find value in it. Um, we, uh, we've lit four, uh, one for each of the weeks of Advent. And again, if you're not familiar with Advent at all, Advent is, uh, it comes from a Latin word that, that means arrival. Uh, and so for us, it means the arrival of Jesus, not just that he was born. That's what we're focusing on, but the, the promise of a returning Savior, that Jesus uh, will return, uh, arrive again. And so uh, we've, we've let one for each week. Uh, anticipation was the first one. Provision was the second. Peace was the third. And, and wonder is the fourth. And then we've got one in the middle. There's five. Uh, we can count. This was intentional. Uh, the fifth one is the Christ candle, and we'll light that uh, on Christmas Eve. Um, and it'll start our candle lighting, uh, where we'll light the whole room up, as uh, Maya described as magical. It's a pretty, pretty cool moment. And that's a, it's a really meaningful and kind of uh, awe-inspiring moment. I love it. I think this year I'm actually going to enjoy uh, kids in our gathering. Um, we've, we've never done this before. Um, and so I'm not even sure how we ended up making the decision to do it this year. Um, but we're going to have kids in... Uh, up here and kind of start our gatherings at two and at four on, on Christmas Eve. And so, uh, well, if you, if you are not interested in Jesus in the least, it's worth being here just for that. So um, come and see the kids. And uh, we saw them practice after our first gathering uh, this morning. Uh, and they're actually going to practice again to give another opportunity for them to practice at the end of this gathering. So it might be worth just staying in your seat until like 1 p.m. today and watch that. So it is, it's fat. There was a, I don't know that he'll be wearing it, but there was a younger kid who practiced his entire time up here, the song and the verse with his hands in his pockets, expressionless, with orange goggles on his forehead. So that's not a promise. That's not a guarantee that that will happen on Christmas Eve, but that's, that's what, what we just witnessed after the first gathering. So um, it's going to be a, a fantastic time. Here's the, here's the deal. We've got uh, a 2 p.m. and a 4 p.m. If it's all the same to you, if it doesn't matter which one you're at, um, if you could choose the four, our earlier gatherings are um, almost always full. And so um, if we can help create a little bit of space in our two by, by moving to the four, that's great. Um, if you need to come to the two, come to the two, that's, that's great. Um, and please don't let that slow you down from inviting friends and family to be here. It's going to be a, a, just a great, uh, meaningful, powerful, fun time together. And there's s'mores and stuff in between and all that. So it's going to be a great, great day, which is only two days away, right? 22, 23, 22. Yeah, two days away. Wow. We're going to continue to read. We've read each uh, of the four Advent, uh, 
our four weeks of Advent, we've read those same verses that James just read for us. It's uh, Luke chapter 2, 1 through 20. Uh, and we've just moved through those 20 verses each time and taken a few verses at a time. And we're going to look at the last five together this morning, verses 16 through 20. And so uh, before we look to those verses in Luke chapter 2, uh, I want to invite you to pray with me, and then we'll go to Scripture together. God, you're with us right here, right now. And uh, one of the things that is true of who you are is that uh, you promise to be near, uh, that you have created us, you know us, you love us. You see us and you're never far from us. And so one of the things that we trust and believe and experience is that you are present in this space, in this room right now. And, and so as we've done, we want to we worship you. We want to declare that you're good and sing to you and read your word. And, uh, and so would you be truly delighted and glorified in what goes on in our, our time here together? And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would, would help us to contribute to that and make that happen? Would you help us to be alert and aware of what it is you want to do in our life? Would you not just wake our mind up this morning, but would you, would you actually soften our heart and, and make it available to be steered and directed and healed uh, by you? Uh, only you can do that, Holy Spirit. And Jesus, as we look again and again and again each of these weeks to, to your birth, your arrival, your advent, uh, we look to your word and ask you to guide us and teach us. Um, we need a savior we need a king. We need somebody to, to redeem us and to lead us. And you're the only one that can do that. And so would you do that now in our time here this morning? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. I think I was in uh, fourth or fifth grade, uh, and I was standing in, in front of a, uh, uh, a, a chain that was strung across in front of in front of me, and I was up against it, and my, I think my, my belly was touching it, and I, I couldn't wait for the person that was in, in front of me to stop talking and to remove the chain and so I could run forward. I was standing next to really my best friend at that time, and uh, he in, had invited me to come with him and his family to his dad's summer work party. Uh, we were standing in a street. There was a chain in front of us, and this particular street was called Main Street. And his dad worked for a very large company. I think it was Boeing, which made commercial airliners. And um, the the company had rented out this space for uh, the summer all-company work party. Uh, and this guy was up there thanking his employees and their families for being a part of the company, and this was their gift to them, this party. And we were standing in Main Street, and Main Street happens to be right as the entry and the, the beginning part of the happiest place on earth. It was Main Street of Disneyland in Southern California. My friend and I were, were there first, and we're standing, waiting for this chain to be removed when he didn't finish his speech. And what they had done is they had rented out the entire park, closed it down, cleaned it out, and at 7 p.m., we were going to get to run into the park. And so now it was about 7.03, and he was finishing up his speech, and they were about ready to move the chain, and they moved the chain finally. And because my friend and I, as fourth or fifth graders, were faster than most of the employees, we were the first ones into the park, and we ran into an empty Disneyland where there was only a few employees that were still getting into their spots, and we went flying down Main Street, and we took a right-hand turn and went on off into whatever land it was because we were going first to the Matterhorn. And we got to the Matterhorn, and they let us jump on. We were the only ones in the first, whatever you call that thing that goes. And then we went through Matterhorn, came out. There was a few people in line. We jumped out, jumped over the fence, got back in Matterhorn, went on it again, jumped out, had to wait about four or five minutes, got back in. And a third time we went through and then decided there was enough people there in line now that we were going to go on to the next one. And we went on to Space Mountain and rode that a few times. And then 
to, uh, what's the other really good one? Well, yeah. The other fast one. Pirates of the Caribbean's great, but Thunder Mountain, Thunder Mountain. And we had the whole night, it was from 7 till, or 7.03 till, till midnight that we just got to run in the park. I don't even think we lasted till midnight. We, we, we conked out earlier, we got worn out, but we got to run around a park that only had a few thousand people in it, which for Disneyland feels near empty, and it was just a blast. And, and that to me is, when I think of something that was amazing or astonishing or just brought wonder to me, that's one of the things that I think about, is that day of being able to go into Disneyland and run around and experience it all. Which just, just blew my mind. I'd been to, to Disneyland before a couple times, and I had to wait in line, and it was crowded, and everything just took too long. This was like free reign of Disneyland for the night, and it was, it was amazing. And I can't wait till the company I work for rents out Disneyland for <laughs> a night, and we get to all... No, that's never going to happen, but... But can you imagine that? If you like Disneyland, can you imagine that? That was, that was so fun. We have these things in our life that we can remember or think of or have experienced that bring a sense of wonder and, and amazement to us. For some of us, we think immediately of the, the hike that a friend recommended to us over and over and over, and we finally went to it and got up to the, to the peak and looked out and had a, had a beautiful view and took so many pictures. But at first, just stopped and were stunned and looked at it and went, this is amazing, this is beautiful. For those of you, when you think of something amazing or that brings wonder to you, it's something you've seen on a, on a football field or on the, and it was, you just couldn't believe it happened. And for us in my home, and we end up rewinding it and watching it over and over again. I can't believe we just saw that. That just happened. That was amazing. Or maybe it's something that you ate that tasted so much better than you could ever imagine. And, and you're looking across the table, the person who's fixed it, and you say, hey, how did you make this? And they go on and tell you how all the details and the ingredients, and you didn't listen to a thing because you were busy putting more bites in your mouth and just tasting it because it was so great. There's these things that, are, that we've experienced, whether it's taste or experience or seen, that, that are amazing to us, that, that go beyond what we could imagine or dream about, that they truly bring a sense of wonder to us. We've read the same 20 verses over these four weeks now because the the story of Jesus Christ being born is familiar to many of us. We might not know all the details, and you might not even believe it, but it's familiar to most of us. For those of us that believe it and it's shaped our lives, it's become familiar to us. And yet, in it, there's intended to be this sense of wonder where we just smile and sit back and go, wow. And it affects us in a certain way. The five verses that we're going to read together this morning and look at have four responses to the birth of Jesus, four different ways of responding to the announcement, the, ex the experience, and the reality that Jesus was born and placed in a manger on a particular night about 2,000 years ago. Four different responses that maybe we'll be able to relate to, or maybe they'll be foreign to us. But each one of them in involves a sense of wonder and amazement. So I want us to take a look at those this morning together and then, and then ask a question when, when we're done. So if you've got a Bible, find your way to, to Luke chapter 2. We just heard the verses read, but I want to read them again uh, together. Luke chapter 2, they'll be on the screen as well. And this picks up right after the, the shepherds had been on, out, out doing their job on the hill, watching the sheep in the middle of the night. An angel shows up and terrifies them and then talks to them. And, and then they respond to what they've heard from, from the angel. And verse 16 says this, so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed 
at what the shepherds said to them. So here's, in these just first three verses, we see the first two responses. The, the first response is the, the shepherds. The shepherds hear that Jesus has been born, and, and they, don't, they don't know a lot of details about it. This, this angel has shown up. We talked about this last week, and, and frighten them, and then says, don't be scared, and then says, hey, uh, to you, I mean, to everybody, but, but to you, shepherds, a, a child has been born, a savior has been born. Uh, he's, he's the Messiah, he's the promised one, and and so go into town and, and find him, and here's some details about how to find him. And so they come off the hills outside Bethlehem. They go into town, and we don't know exactly how they got there, but they got to the particular place where Mary and Joseph were with this, this newborn baby, Jesus. They find their way to that stable or barn or whatever exactly it was, and, and they go inside, and they see that Jesus has been placed in a, in a, in a manger, uh, in essentially a feeding trough. He's been placed there, and the the shepherds see that. And then their response to seeing Jesus is is excitement. They get get excited. This this actually is is real. We got freaked out out on the hills, and then all these other angels showed up and and sang this thing to us, and then we come in, and what they actually said, we're not dreaming this, we're not delusional, we're not crazy. This is actually real. There's this young couple who have this baby born. God spoke to us through these angels, and here we're seeing evidence of it, reality. It's happened here. And so they get excited and then they start telling people about it. In, their excitement prompts them to go tell people about this baby that's born. And so I, we don't know, it doesn't give us more detail in this of what this looked like, but I just imagine this. It's probably the middle of the night. Maybe it's 1, 2, 3 a.m. And they have, Jesus is just a few hours old and they're walking down the streets of Bethlehem. And I would imagine it's fairly quiet, but they're finding people to talk to or they're knocking on doors or I don't know if they went to their favorite bar in Bethlehem when they would come off the fields after working for several months and they knew a few people in it and they walked in and they started telling people about this, but they, they started sharing it. And we, we know what that's like. We share stuff all the time that we're amazed at, that we're excited about, that we are laughing at. We, you've all forwarded something, you've seen it and you forwarded it to a couple of buddies or friends and said, oh my gosh, check this out. It's, it's either really funny or really inappropriate or, or I can't believe this or check this out. And we've done that in excitement. That's what the, the shepherds are doing. They're saying, this is amazing. Listen to this. And they just share it. That's one way to respond when, when we're amazed. The second way is in verse 18. Uh, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So there's, there's people that are actually hearing from the shepherds. Okay, this is what's gone on. And, and what they're hearing is, angels said something to us. Now, we went in town and, and followed their instructions and found it to be true. So who knows who this is? We don't even know who this is. It's just all who heard. So it's people that are up in the middle of the night. It's people in the bar. It's who knows who this is exactly. But they were amazed at what they've heard. Here's just a real simple like, uh, just definition of what it means to be amazed. A sense of wonder or astonishment linked with an act of God's revelation, or, so it could be that, that God's actually showing something, and, and because we've seen something and take it to be from God, we're, we're in a sense of astonishment from it. Okay, God's done something or revealed himself or said something. Or it's an object or experience that seems to transcend all human possibilities. It's just beyond what, what we can imagine, like, like getting to run around Disneyland with hardly anybody in it. Like, I never thought that would happen. That's beyond human possibilities, I thought. 
So people that are hearing this from the shepherds are, are thinking this is beyond what we thought was humanly possible. We didn't think that this could happen. Now, the, the people that the shepherds are talking to, are they're not exactly like them uh, because shepherds were kind of the lowest rung of society and they were kind of um, disregarded and marginalized and just, just put, literally put out to pasture with the sheep. Just go wash the sheep. They, many of them had been convicted of crimes. Many of them had bad reputations. They were out on the fields with the animals. They're running through town in the middle of the night saying, hey, the Messiah has been born. And there's people that are the same ethnicity as, as the shepherds. They're almost all most likely Jews. They probably weren't talking to anyone who wasn't a Jew. Uh, the, the city was packed at that time because everybody was re- registering for this, this census that was being taken, and it was all Jews coming to Bethlehem. Uh, and so they know the stories. They've had the same education. They've heard the prophecies that God has promised that a Messiah would come. That there's things in the world that aren't right, that aren't good, and that there's only one way for them to be put back right in order. And so everybody was living with a daily, minute-by-minute sense of the world isn't right. The most obvious for all of them was that they had to even take the census because Rome ruled over them. They weren't free. They weren't independent. They weren't on their own. Some other power was ruling over them. They had a sense that, God, please come and make this right. And they had this prophecy that God had promised to come and send a Messiah. And now they're hearing, this might be it. This might, these shepherds, can't believe it's shepherds that are the one telling us about this, but it's these shepherds that are telling us, God's shown up. God's fulfilled his promise. There's this baby that's been born. It's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the promised one. He's Jesus, the Christ. And they're amazed. And they go, this, we can't believe that this is happening. So they have a sense of wonder in it and and are wondering how to respond. We don't know how they responded. There's no, there's no explanation that says, oh, they believed. That all of a sudden they began to worship God, that they, they changed who they were, that they followed Jesus as they got older. We don't know. But we just know that they were in amazement at that particular moment. Listen to the third one. You've got the shepherds who just start sharing about it. You've got people that hear the news that are just, just stunned and it's beyond what they could imagine. And then verse 19 says this, but Mary, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Uh, to, tre- to treasure something, we, we, we get that. We, um, I, I, don't, I don't want it to, to fade away. I want to hold on to it. I want to preserve it. I want to preserve it. I, uh, uh, when, I, when I read this, I, I imagine um, or remember just a little over a year ago, um, my middle son Max had his last uh, a water polo game of his senior season, and it was a great season, and he, he did extremely well. And a couple of years before that, Abby and I had, had bought a, a camera just to take pictures of, of uh, Ethan and Max's water polo games and had taken a ton of pictures, and I was on picture duty in his last game and had took a ton of pictures, and we were down to the last minute or two of his last water polo game. Uh, I was in the playoffs, and um, it was a great game, and we're watching the clock tick down, and and I'm, I'm trying to capture every last moment I can and, and take, take pictures. And, um, and Abby reaches over to me and just kind of puts her hand on the camera and just says, hey, let's, we've got enough. And I put the camera down and turned it off. And, and Abby and I literally just kind of held each other. And, and we watched the last few minutes tick down of, of his last water polo game, knowing it was going to be the last. Uh, there's this whole psychology behind what it's like for parents nowadays to, to watch their kids through a screen uh, versus, 
putting the camera or the phone down and actually just taking it in. Um, and we, we had plenty of pictures that are digital that we'll have for as long as we want them. And they're great. But there's something different to actually just to put the camera down and to treasure those last few seconds and moments and to, to experience that without something in between. Mary is probably in her mid to late teens. She's a teenager. That's, that's just when, when women got married, they got betrothed at that age. That's foreign to us, but that was, she was 15, 16, 17 years old. And she was pregnant, and she never slept with a man. That God had, had created a baby in her and said, this is, this is unique, special. There's never going to be another one like this. This is Jesus the Christ, the promised Messiah. She's now in a stable with her husband-to-be, Joseph, and she's just delivered. And it doesn't tell us that there's any labor and delivery crew that came into the stable and delivered it. There was no doula. There was no midwife. Joseph played all of those roles, most likely. She's just had this experience. The baby's been born. And we, we have the image of, of mangers today. And uh, they're very nice and wood-carved, and some of them are elaborate, and we have all different images. Most likely, the manger that Jesus was placed in was a, was a feeding trough that has carved into the floor of the stable. It was literally, he was literally placed in the, in the floor. It was kind of a convenient place so he wouldn't roll anywhere. He would just put him in the feeding trough. A teenage mom, to be married, has given birth to a baby that God spoke to her and said, this is what is going to happen. And she's treasuring that moment. She's trying to, she's trying to soak it up and preserve it and to keep it. Uh, growing up, I, uh, I got, at a certain age, I got to set up our, our nativity scene. Our, I think that's what you call it, not display, nativity, the nativity. And ours was uh, piecemealed together. The actual, like, uh, stable was a, a barn that my grandfather, who was a farmer in South Carolina, handmade. And he handmade it like a farm would look in South Carolina. So that was the, the, the background of our nativity scene, was this wooden built, hand built by my grandfather, barn. And, and then we had a piecemeal nativity scene together. So we had a, a Joseph, Mary, and baby Jesus were of the same unit. Uh, and then we had uh, three wise men who were purchased by my mom when she was in India, and they didn't go together. And then we had animals that were all from different sets. I don't know where they came from. And then we had shepherds that were from different, two or three shepherds from different sets to get together. And it was, then we had an angel on top, even though that's not in the text. And the wise men aren't in the text either. But anyways, it was crowded. Our nativity scene was crowded. And then we also had a big bag of hay that lasted my entire childhood. We would use a little bit every Christmas, and it, I think my parents still have some of that hay. But I got to set it all up, and it was always crowded. And I always imagine, I read this, and I hear that Mary treasured up these things. I was like, what would that be like for a teenage mom to have just given birth and then to have guests in her home, which was also her delivery room, which was also a stable and had animals in it? And she had to have, what else other option did she have but just to go... I can't believe all that's going on around me right now. I'm just going to go inward and treasure these things. My heart, I'm going to preserve this. And then it says that she pondered it. 
And the word for ponder here means to put together, to combine, to take pieces that aren't together and to try to put them together. And what it also means is that there's not a full picture. To ponder something is to try to make sense of all of the pieces in front of you, and they don't quite all fit together. And what we know about Mary is as a teenage new mom right in that moment, that she couldn't make sense of everything. She couldn't understand it all. In fact, we've got a story written in Mark chapter 3 where Jesus is now an adult, an adult and he's starting his public ministry where she comes with some of Jesus' other siblings to a house where he's essentially having a house party telling everybody about who he is and about the kingdom of God. And he's, he, the house is packed out and they come, his family comes to the house and says, Jesus, come on, let's go, let's go home. And he says, they don't understand me fully. Who are my mother and brothers? Mary understood a lot about Jesus, but she didn't understand everything. Part of her amazement, part of her being astonished and in wonder was that she's trying to put it all together and she doesn't quite understand it all. When we hear this story, Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 20, when we hear the story of Jesus being born and placed in a manger, when we hear the story of God coming into our level, our humanity, this creation of his, he entered into it. We can't make sense of all of it. We can't understand all of it. There's a sense where it's beyond what we can understand. And that's actually a really, really good thing. I have wanted to read and understand and question and listen and learn to the point where I get all of my questions answered and I conquer all of the doubts that I have. That's not faith. And actually, if I were able to do that, there wouldn't be any sense of wonder left. But what we're invited to by the God who loves us and created us is to step into that sense of wonder and amazement and believe, knowing that we can't answer all of the questions. Mary's a great example. For us. She's worthy to be respected and revered and, and studied and, in this sense, even model, that she treasured up who Jesus was, even as a several hours old infant, treasured up that experience and pondered, God, I want to be able to put more of this together. I can't put it all together but I'm going to believe and I'm going to follow. I'm going to have faith. Verse 20 has the fourth response. The shepherds returned. They returned to their hill. So they go through this night and tell a bunch of people and make a bunch of ruckus in Bethlehem and maybe stop by the bar and tell their buddies there. And then they head back out to the hills. They returned and, and look what they're doing, glorifying and praising God for all the things that, he had heard, that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. They go back out worshiping. They go back out saying, God, this is who you are. The, the angels had told them, the last scene that we have of, of what's, what's happening on the hills before they come in town is, is a whole multitude of angels saying this. And we talked last week. We don't know exactly how they did. They sing it. Did they repeat it? Was it like in the round? We don't know exactly how they communicated it. But what they were saying was glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. That's what they had heard. They came in and found us, had this experience, and they go back out to the hills. And they're saying, that proved true. That's real. And do you know who there's a little bit of peace on tonight? Us. Who we usually don't experience peace because we're out with the animals, because we've got a criminal past, because we're rejected, because we're marginalized, because a lot of people don't like us, because we don't bathe regularly. Whatever it is, we're out here, and we've got a little bit of peace tonight because the God of the universe proved true because his favor rests on us. And so they go out changed 
men. We don't know what they were talking about around the campfire when the angels showed up, but I can guarantee you it wasn't about how great God is. I can guarantee you it wasn't what they had read in the, the Old Testament that week. They weren't doing a Bible study around the campfire. The angels showed up and shocked their world, and they came back changed men. Their amazement, their wonder was that they believed. And they didn't have it all fit together either, but, but they believed, and they went back as different men. All of these different responses involve a level of wonder and amazement and of being astonished. And it's all centered on the person of Jesus. That Jesus was born as a human being, fully God, fully human, went through this experience that each and every one of us have had of being born and growing up. And that the God of the universe looked down on his creation and looked down specifically on you and I as humanity, on each and every one of us and said, I love them. They're worthy. They're valuable enough for me to step into their mess and their situation. And to do so, not as the highest level of authority and control and power, not as, not as the greatest throne, not to come in as the Caesar on Rome, not to come in in the palace, but to come in as the lowliest, humble place to a couple that would have been rejected any day of the week because she was pregnant and they weren't married yet. To come down into a place that doesn't even have a reservation at a hotel, but to be in the back room in a, in a stable and to be placed in a dirty manger. That the God who has all of the power and all of the strength and all of the knowledge and all of the everything comes in at that level should bring a sense of wonder to us and amazement. When I stop for a minute and consider how amazing God is and how good he is, it does something to me. It changes me. It changes the way that I see the world, other people, myself. When I stop for a minute and go, God values and loves humanity so much that he was willing to do that, that, that I'm, I'm stopped, stopped in my tracks in all of the ways that I try to make myself worthy and good and likable and valuable and realize in some way I might be doing that in front of people, but ultimately I'm doing it before God. And he says, no, I, I don't need you to do that. I need you to stop and be amazed at how good I am and how I love you right now before you do anything. It changes the way that I see me. And then it does the same thing when I look at other people. That the God of the universe sent his son because he loves you. Because he says you're worthy and valuable and loved. And then regardless of any of the, the wonderful and good and talented and impressive things I see in other people, or on the other end of the spectrum, all the things that I see that are disappointing or hurtful in other people. I'm able to look past both of those and go, no, God actually says you're valuable, you're good. It, it changes the way that I see other people. It changes the way that I hope for the future because if God fulfills his word 2,000 years ago, he's going to continue to do it. It changes the way that I, I think about everything around me. And it actually draws me closer to God. To know that I, there's a sense of wonder that I can't fully understand him, that he's bigger than me and beyond me, I need that. If I could somehow draw 
God down to my level and I could fully grasp him and understand him and hold him, I will have then just made another idol that humanity has made over and over and over again. But to know that I can't possibly do that brings a sense of relief and comfort and awe and it draws me toward him. And it brings me joy that there's a God who is so much further beyond me, beyond what I can understand, that he causes a sense of wonder and amazement in me, brings me joy. Here's my encouragement to you. It's a question. How are you amazed at this familiar Christmas story this year? Are you amazed by it? Is it one that you're prompted to go and tell other people? Is it one that you're prompted to say, this is amazing and I don't fully understand it? Is it a story that you pull close to you and say, I just want to hold this for me right now. I'm going to treasure it. And ultimately, is it one that that changes you? That you find yourself a different person because you're amazed at this particular story? I'd encourage you in the next 72 hours to find a few minutes, a few moments to stop and to read Luke 2, chapter 1 through 20. We've read it for four weeks in a row. To read it alone in your own quiet or to read it with others or with your family, but to read that again and just to be amazed by it. That that God came to us in a very, very specific, intentional way. That he came and was wrapped in some cloths and placed in the dirt or maybe on some hay. And the first people, other than Mary and Joseph, to play a key role in his story once he was born was almost the lowest in society at the time. Some insignificant, discarded criminals that worked with animals out on the hills. And he says, look at, look at who I love. I love all people, all of humanity. And that you wouldn't just read it and be amazed by it, but that you would tell Jesus that you're amazed by it. I'm amazed that you would do this for me. I'm amazed that you're beyond what I can understand. I'm amazed at how good you are. I'm amazed at how humble you made yourself. I'm amazed that you had the idea to sacrifice yourself for me, that you would actually tell Jesus that this Christmas. Here's what I want to invite you to do now. We're going to come to these tables as we continue to sing. I want to pray for us, and then we're going to sing, and, and these tables are available for those of us that have stepped into that sense of, I'm, I'm amazed, and I can't figure this all out, but I believe, and I need you, Jesus. So I want to invite you to pray with me again, and then as we sing, if when you're ready, that you'd come to one of these tables, and you'd take a piece of bread, and you would dip it in the juice. Because we find ourselves in this in-between of the first Advent, the first arrival on his promised return. We find ourselves in the reality of celebrating a baby who was born innocent and pure and vulnerable, who then 33 years later went to the cross and gave his life. And we celebrate that and remember that and we stand in awe of it. And so Jesus, we come this morning and hopefully you're helping us to take the next step forward to step into further belief in you, still having all of our questions and doubts, but stepping into a place where we can say, we have a sense of wonder for how good you are and how much you love us, that you would come and enter into our humanity, that you would live 
die, be buried, and conquer death and rise again because you love us. And so we respond to you today in our amazement with faith and gratitude. We come to your table this morning thankful that you gave your life for us.